The gospel writer Matthew records an incident where Jesus rattled his little band of followers with with a statement that was so monumental that when he spoke it, it forever altered the course of their lives. It forever altered the course of human history. It's recorded in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel. You can turn there now in a moment, we'll read it. But I just wanna give you the flyover. You probably remember this incident. Jesus and his disciples were having a conversation about his identity. And he had asked them, you know, who do people say that I am? And they were talking about this, having kind of a long conversation about it. And finally, Simon stepped forward. And you remember what happened. Simon said, Jesus, I know the answer. I I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And do you remember what Jesus said in response to that to Simon? He said, I tell you, Simon, you are, will now be called Peter, Petras. And on this Petra, there's this little play on sound-alike words. You are Peter and on this rock. And you remember what Jesus said next? You know it, say it with me. I will build my church. Friends, can I tell you that sentence? That sentence forever altered the course of human history. That sentence is supposed to take your breath away. I remember tripping over that sentence recently as I read through the gospel of Matthew. I got to that sentence and I thought, the very same Christ who made that claim, I will build my church. That same Christ is the risen, reigning Lord of human history who makes that same declaration right now today over our community, I will build my church. Even in the time of coronavirus, you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. We know the church is sort of in timeout right now. (laughs) The church is on the sidelines. It's kind of like a pit stop. We're getting bandaged up. We're hurting. We're, 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 We're displaced. We're not active. No, 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 no. The living Lord of history The risen Lord Jesus declares, even right now in this moment, I will build my church. Do you believe that, River West? Do you believe that? Yes, it's been a confusing time. Yes, there's a lot going on. But you know what's amazing? There are some unexpected positive things that are happening, byproducts that I don't think any of us thought would happen in these days. For one thing, isn't it interesting how many people are thinking about church in these days? Believers, yes, but even non-believers are thinking about church. If anyone took for granted church before coronavirus, no one's taking church for granted anymore. And even for those of us believers who weren't taking for granted church, this time has raised our affections to new heights. We cannot wait to be together. People are asking questions we've never wrestled with about church. All kinds of important questions like, what is the meaning of church? What does this all this mean? What is it that makes church, church? What is the fundamental activity of a church? What is it that if you took it away, that if the church stopped doing it, it would no longer be the church? Who is it 
that makes up the church? Critical questions. We're being forced through all of this to re-examine some of the assumptions that we may hold about the church. And I want to argue this is actually a good thing, but here's what I want to suggest. Rather than wrestling with that on our own, in our own human intuition or wisdom, what if we were to get inside the head and the heart of the architect? The one who on that day, 2000 years ago, stood before his disciples and said, I will build my church. What if we were to get inside of his head and ask the question, what did he mean when he spoke those words? What was he thinking of? And so we look at the actual account now with me. Let's read it. Here's what happened. Chapter 16 of Matthew verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, there he is, replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. I know your daddy. I know who you are, Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is not something a human being can come to. This is not something we can come to without the help of the father. But my father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, here it is. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Astounding. What a sound. I mean, I don't even have to move past those five words, even just when you hear them. I will build my church. They, they speak volumes. What if we were to build an entire sermon series around the, that sentence? What if we were to, what if we were to preach a sermon series in our church where we got into the head and the heart of the architect of the church who spoke these words and asked the question, not what, what do we think the church means? What do we think the church is all about? But what did Jesus have in mind when he spoke this? What is the fundamental purpose of the church? What is the fundamental mission of this church going to be? What is it that's going to unite this, this group of people together? In what ways will they be diverse and multi-ethnic and and beautiful in that way? What, What will be the marks? Who will make up this church and how? And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna preach a whole series around this title, I Will Build My Church. Seven, eight weeks, each week we'll take a different important characteristic or trait I'm really excited about this. I think it will be timely. I think it will be helpful for you. And here's what I wanna do today to introduce us to the series. We'll leave Matthew next week, but today what I wanna do is I wanna take that sentence, I will build my church. And each of those words, what I wanna suggest, each of those words are heavier than the world. Each of them warrants an entire sermon. But how about this? How about if I just share a couple of things about each of those words, just just a couple minutes around each. This will not take long, but each one of them is worthy of our attention. So I, let's start there. That's number one, I. Who is this I who's making this claim? 
I will build my church. Who are we talking about? You say, well, it's Jesus, obviously, pastor, but no, 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 no. Give me a vision of who he is. Give, give me a vision that captures my attention, that, that takes my breath away. What kind of a person could make this claim? And where could we go in the New Testament to get a vision of his grandeur, of his glory, of his splendor? Well, we could go where we went last Sunday, Daniel 7, the son of man riding in on the clouds to, to stand before the ancient of days. Go back and listen to that sermon. We could go to the end of Matthew where Jesus stood before his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. But you know where I wanna go today with you just really briefly? I wanna go to that place in the book of Revelation where the apostle John is given a vision of just how incredible this person is. Do you remember this moment, chapter five, Revelation five, John's been transported up into the heavenly throne room. There he is. He's in the throne room of heaven and it's the culmination of human history. It's the, it's the coming to the conclusion of human history. The, 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 the church is at stake. The destiny of the church is at stake and all of the heavenly host have gathered together and they're looking for someone who is worthy to take off the seals of this scroll. You remember the scroll? This scroll that describes the end of human history and the destiny of the church. And what we learn in Revelation 5 is that John begins to weep because no one is found who's worthy to take the seals off the scroll. And John weeps. And then you remember what happened. One of the 24 elders steps forward and, and encourages John. And here's, here's what he says to John. He says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Okay, this is, this is astounding. This is incredible. This is telling us that God has ordained that the only person in the universe who's worthy to take the seals off this scroll that describes the end of human history, the destiny of the church, the only person who would be worthy to do this cannot just be a lion. He also must be a lamb. It's not enough just to be dominant. It's not enough just to be the king of the, of the beast. It's not enough to just be, be powerful and have authority. That's, that's what lions symbolize in the Bible, roaring, majestic, powerful. No, it's not enough to just be that. No, in order to open this scroll, this person also has to be completely humble an ultimate humility, a purity and innocence. That's what the lamb represents. This person has to be a lion and this person has to be a sacrificial lamb. 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is the person. This is the I of the sentence. I will build my church. Hallelujah. Will you worship him today, church? So that's number one, I, but here's, here's word number two, will. I will build my church. Oh, I love this word. It's so critical. I love all of them, but I, I love this word. Can we all agree that this I will takes on a whole different level of certainty and finality than any I will that you or I could speak. Okay, when this person says I will, it's a whole different level of certainty. When my wife calls me from work and she says, Adam, will you please remember to bring home a package of butter? And I say, I will. What I want to be honest with you is that there's about a 50-50 chance that that's going to happen, okay? Maybe less than 50-50. If I say to Kathy, honey, I will fix the broken, and then just fill in the blank because we have an old house. I will fix the broken sink, cabinet, cupboards, garage door. I'm going to be honest with you. There's much less than a 50-50 chance that's going to happen, all right? Not because, of, not because of a lack of effort, but because of a lack of ability. I always tell Kathy, you married a preacher, not a handyman, okay? But wait a minute. When this person, this lion, lamb, son of man who comes in on the clouds, when he says, I will, it comes with a category, with a, with, with, a, with a sense of the eternal purposes of God behind it. Amen. There's something going on here. You say, what is the will of God in Christ? What is the will of God that, that this Jesus is talking about? Here's a verse, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 2, excuse me. Ephesians 1, (laughs) Ephesians 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Sometimes the will of God is hidden in mystery until God reveals it. But he's making known to us the mystery of his will. And what is that? According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the will of God. And when, and when Jesus said, I will build my church, this uniting of all things in the cosmic realm, heaven and earth, bringing them back together, things that have been divided. This is what's lurking behind this I will. Amazing. I think that's why Jesus, in this statement, he contrasts his will with the will of hell. Did you notice that? He said, I will build my church and what? And the gates of hell will not, shall not. It's the same word in the Greek. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
brothers and sisters, can I say something? If the gates of hell do not have the power to prevent the will of Jesus from coming to pass, I can guarantee you that coronavirus does not have the power to prevent Jesus from bringing about his will to build his church. Amen. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is sitting on a throne of the universe, looking over all that's happening and saying, I will build my church. Even through all of this, the gates of hell can't prevent it. Coronavirus can't prevent it. An election year can't prevent it. Nothing can stop Jesus from accomplishing his will. That's word number two. I will. How about this? Word number three, build. I will build my church another great word. Friends, the church is not a building. We know this. That's why I was super committed to preaching out here so that we would not, we would not mistake what we're talking about. The church is not a building. The church is a people. You are the church. We are the church. But one of the primary metaphors in the New Testament for the church is a household. It's a, it's a building, a spiritual building. And so that's why the verb that Jesus would choose to describe his activity of bringing that to reality, it makes sense he would choose the verb, a verb like build. So for example, 1 Peter chapter two, where Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. There it is. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual house, an, an oikos pneumatikatos, a house spiritual. And, and, the, and the, 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 the stones are, are individual Christians. They're spiritual stones that are being built into the structure of this house. And a house has a builder, and that builder is Jesus. I picture Jesus. There he is. Imagine someone building a, an elaborate, intricate, tightly packed rock wall, each living stone being placed perfectly into this structure that becomes the spiritual household of God. The church has a builder, and that builder is Jesus Christ himself. How does he do it? How does he build this house. I'll tell you how he does it. By breaking down the gates of hell. That's how he does it. The gates of hell will not prevent Christ from from building his church. Even though hell wants to prevail against Jesus, hell wants to keep dead stones dead, Jesus is committed He's on a mission to take dead stones and raise them to life, to take hardened, stony hearts and remove them, like the prophet Ezekiel said, and replace them with hearts of flesh, to take dead stones and turn them into living stones. I love this. Do you remember that place in the, in the book of Acts where God came to Paul in a vision, Paul was really discouraged. He'd been preaching in Corinth and he had come up against a lot of resistance and, and a lot of negativity from the community. And he, when he's getting discouraged and Luke tells us in Acts 10 that, that the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent 
for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. We just think about that a minute. Here's Jesus, the living Lord, the builder who's taking dead stones, turning them to living stones. He comes to Paul in a vision and he says, don't be discouraged. He's looking out over the city and he's saying, I have many people in this city who are my people. And I just picture Jesus, the builder, the living Lord, seated on the throne of the universe, looking down over our city, our community. And he's saying, don't be discouraged, River West Church. Don't be discouraged, pastors, small group leaders, house church leaders. Don't you realize I'm, I'm building my church. I will build my church. And I have many people in your city who are my people. They belong to me. I've got a plan. We might not see that. We might, we might look at them and think, how could this person possibly ever become a Christian? But that's not what Jesus sees. He sees people who are his, who belong to him. I've thought about the fact that one of the things about coronavirus is how many church services have gone online, ours included, to spread the, the net of the message of the gospel. You know, we've had people who have tuned in from all over the country. I've heard from people, many of whom you, you shared a link with one of our services and they're tuning in and they're, they're hearing gospel preaching, biblical teaching. They're sending me emails to thank me for the ministry of our church. And here's Jesus saying, see, I'm, I'm turning people into living stones. I will build my church, Jesus says. I love it. So that's word number three. Here's word number four, my. I will build my church. River West, the church belongs to Jesus. We are his. The church is not an institution. It's not a human institution, cold, lifeless, the church is not a business. The church is not the result of some human-centered growth strategy, okay? The church is a, it's so much more precious to Jesus than that. The church is Christ's precious possession, bought with his very blood, Paul tells us. We, we were bought with a price. We belong to Jesus, Two of the most common metaphors for the church in the New Testament speak to this precious idea of our intimate connection with Jesus. We are his church. First, the Bible describes the church as his body, the body of Christ. You can't be any more intimately connected than you are to your own body. But also, and I love this one, it's one of my favorite metaphors. You know, the church is described as the bride of Christ, his precious ride. I love that metaphor. On Tuesday, Kathy and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Can you believe that? 25 years, a quarter of a century. We've been married. We were laughing on Tuesday. We were saying 25 years of marriage, 23 of which have been bliss. Okay. The first couple of years were a little tough, <laughs> but 23 years of marital bliss. So what did we do? We took off. We went to the beach. We were out there at the beach. It was a beautiful day, 75 degrees, no wind. We laid out a, we laid out a beach towel and we laid down and we fell asleep on the beach. It was a, it was a magical day. And I woke up and I, I looked over and Kathy had laid her head under my arm and she was still sleeping and I was looking at her and I, I remember thinking, 
how could I possibly love this woman more than I do? I thought I loved her on our wedding day. That love was so paltry, so shallow compared to the love that I feel right now. And I remember thinking in that moment, if this is how much I love my bride of 25 years, how much does Jesus love his bride? I remember thinking, I want to spend another 25 years with her. I want to be with my bride every single day. I remember thinking, how much does Jesus want to spend time with his bride, with you? I remember thinking, I'm really protective of this woman. She's so precious to me. I'm so, if someone tried to harm her, if someone tried to slander her, if I, if I discovered someone was speaking disparagingly about her, now I'm a, I'm a small guy. All right. But if someone was threatening or speaking disparagingly about my bride, you would see a very different Adam come out. You know, it's really in vogue right now in our culture for people to slander the church, to speak disparagingly about the church. I I wonder, I wonder when I hear this, I wonder how does Jesus feel about this? The way our world, the way our culture speaks about his bride. Now, I get it. The church is not perfect. The church has made mistakes. The church has stuff in its past that we need to re- repent of and take ownership for. But if you, if you just were listening to the way the church is talked about today in our culture, you would think that the church was responsible for every single evil that has ever occurred. And I wonder, how does that make Jesus feel? And think about this, friends. Christian, there are Christians who are getting looped and tricked into speaking in similar ways about themselves, about the bride of Christ. And I wonder, how does Jesus feel about this? Now, is there a time for Christians to self-reflect, to, to take stock of who we are to be self Absolutely, Jesus encourages that. But, but brothers and sisters, can we be so careful how we do that? Can we make sure that as we, as we talk about things that we need to fix or improve or work on, that we do it in a way where we build unity, where we protect the beauty and the reputation of Jesus's bride in this world? We're gonna learn how to do that in this series, all right? Come back next Sunday. We're gonna talk about unity that's a result of working through some of the things where we're not always totally united around. See, but that's, that's word number four, my. And then finally, and we'll end here, church. I will build my church. Okay, has it ever occurred to you that it is only the church about which Jesus speaks like this? Only the church. I will build my church. He he does not speak like this about countries or political parties or hospitals or universities or social service organizations, all of which are important and, and, and helpful, but none of which can accomplish in this world the task, the purpose for which God has endowed to his church. So Jesus said, here's what I'm building. I guarantee you, this is what I'm building. I will build my church. The church is Christ's plan A and there is no plan B. The word translated church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. 
It means an assembly or a gathering. Sometimes that word is used in the New Testament to describe the universal church, the global church. But most of the time, that word ecclesia, a gathering, an assembly, it's used to describe specific local church congregations, local church gatherings. And so there are some who have argued that a church that's not gathering is not the church. And so I feel like I should just talk about the elephant in the room, all right? The, the elephant in my backyard, okay? Recently, a couple of pretty large influential churches in California made the decision to defy their local government, defy their governor by swinging open the doors of their churches and meeting. And their fundamental argument was that the government has overstepped its rights. It has infringed upon our religious liberties. And so a couple of these churches and several, you know, these are really influential pastors and leaders they have decided it's time to defy our local government. And of course, this has made national news and it's, it's, everyone's talking about it. It's put a lot of pressure on other pastors. Um, one of the unfortunate things about how this has gone down is that one of those pastors seemed to infer that the only courageous way for other Christian leaders to actually be Christian leaders is to follow his example. And that's unfortunate. But what I want to do is I want to tell you how River West is responding to this. And I'm just going to be really direct with you, all right? Our elders and our pastors are completely unified around the idea that we do not believe this is the time to defy our governor. We believe the right thing to do in this moment is to continue to cooperate, to continue to comply with what our state government is doing right now to deal with coronavirus. And here's why. And let me just, let me just break this down so you know kind of our thinking, all right? We're a family. We're a church. I want to I speak to you about some of our reasons for this. Here's the first thing I want you to know. In order for these churches in California to make this decision, they had to presuppose that Christian churches are being uniquely targeted right now by the government. And the problem with that is that that's just simply not true. Churches are not being uniquely targeted. What's happening right now represents an overall attempt by the government to protect citizens from the spread of the virus. And in general, those restrictions have been applied across the board, not just to Christian churches. Imagine for a moment that non-Christian small business owner who's lost everything because of the restrictions. Imagine this person who's spent their life building their business and they've lost it. And now they hear a church claiming we are being uniquely targeted. We're going to defy the government. How do you think, what do you think that looks like for the Christian witness to that non-Christian business owner? But here's the second thing I'll say. In order for these churches in California to do this, they had to presuppose that COVID presents no threat to a large group of people who have gathered. And, and what we would say to that is, we're not epidemiologists, neither are these churches in California. Maybe they will turn out to be more right than wrong, but maybe not. 
Maybe this truly is dangerous. Maybe it's not wise for large groups of people to gather. A lot of these churches, as they gathered, no one was wearing masks. No one was social distancing, all right? And so as a leadership team, we have decided, no, we, we, we're, we're, we're still prayerfully thinking about this. We're, we want to comply. We want to cooperate. It feels like the right thing to do in this moment. Could there come a day when, when we know, okay, it's time to defy? Well, of course there could. We're just not sure that, is, that this is that moment. And lastly, what I want to say, it's simply not accurate to say that the church cannot meet or is not meeting right now. This just isn't true. Right now, that's only true if your definition of meeting is only the large group gathering. But the reality is, friends, in our church, people are gathering all the time. In small groups, house church meetings, community groups, the young adults, the college students, people are gathering in small groups, worshiping, praying together. It's, and we've seen new leaders being raised up. We're seeing fruit. We're seeing things happen in our church that have never happened before. All of it because of the situation that we find ourselves in. And so that's going to continue to be our approach. And here's what I want to say in closing. I want to say thank you for praying for us. Thank you for being gracious with us. We're doing our best. These are complicated. It's complicated to keep following what's happening, figure out how can we meet. We, we, are, we are planning for a week from tonight. We're planning an outdoor worship gathering. Think drive-in theater. So in our parking lot or you drive in, but instead of watching a movie, we just worship. We're going to have two 30-minute drive-in worship gatherings, 7 p.m. and then 8 p.m. Pastor Eric will tell you more about that this week, but that's a week from tonight, August 23rd. So we're, 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 tr- we're doing our best with what we have, and, but here's the most important thing I want to say to you. Friends, the very same Christ who stood before his disciples and said, I will build my church, that Christ is seated on the throne of the universe. And he's saying the same thing today. I am building. I will continue building my church. And to that Christ be all the glory. Let me pray about this. Lord Jesus, as we turn our hearts now to worship, oh goodness, how we, how we praise and thank you for this vision of who you are, this statement that we need to hear, this reminder, you are on the move. You're, 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 busting down the gates of hell. You are taking dead stones and turning them to life and grafting them into your spiritual household. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you for what you're doing. And we want to continue to contribute with you. We know there are people in our community that belong to you and you long to reach them. May we be a part of that, Jesus. Thank you. So we turn our hearts now to worship and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.